my name is Isabel Dai. And I'm Titlali Cruz. Welcome, Welcome to, to Our Girls Considered. Considered. A podcast dedicated to telling the stories of inspiring women and girls. Today we're speaking with Yudith Yanis. So uh, just to start a question, what do you do? That's a hard yeah. question to answer. Yeah. I, I'm going to answer it as I consider myself a role model because we don't have that many Latino leaders or Latina leaders in the community. Mm-hmm. So it's like I put that on my shoulders to be a role model for my community to follow uh, and know it's difficult to become a leader, but to also be vulnerable to show my journey. Were you born and raised in Washington County? So I was actually born and raised in Los Angeles. And I said I was dragged here my junior year of high school to Springdale High School from Los Angeles. Uh, 22 years ago? Uh, yeah, well, we're not counting the years, right? <laughs> but if you can imagine, it was a small town that had no culture whatsoever. And we're slowly getting there, but it's been hard for me to feel like I belong here. Was Even though tr- I've been here this long, right? Yeah. Was the transition transition from California to Arkansas difficult? It has been. and. Um, I love that you guys do this because I'm actually now finding my voice and my identity because I honestly don't know who I am anymore because I've lost so much of my culture uh, being here and my identity. Like, who am I? So what was your uh, primary motivation for completing your college education? So in all honesty, I was a single mom, and I was telling my kids you have to go to college, and I had no college degree. So how dare I tell my kids to go to college without setting the example, right? So I went back to school as a single mom, earned my bachelor's in math and my master's in teaching. Uh, But pretty much, again, back to that role model identity, right? Like, I need to set the example for my own children. Um, How did your teaching career begin? I chose math because it was the one like that subject that was stolen from me in my school years. Uh, I went to actually, now I identified as one of the lowest performing schools in California that was actually shut down. And so I was one of the advanced students in the class and I was sat in the corner to learn from a book. And that's where my math knowledge began to decrease and I struggled. And so when I became a teacher, I wanted to be, teach the content that I struggled the most with to be able to understand my students. You actually taught here at Springdale High. Uh, how was your teaching career here at all? Or what was that like? I've, all, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that. And I think for me, it was a struggle because I identified with my students so well, their struggles or trauma, their barriers. But I, at that time, I did not have the tools to understand what was happening. And so every experience that I walked with one of my students, For me, it was exhausting because of the unhealed trauma that I had growing up. And then I was walking with my own student through that. So you could imagine how every situation was exhausting, (laughs) rewarding, because I built some really close relationships with my students. And uh, has the high school changed since you've been teaching, uh, since you've taught here at all? So when I graduated, not going to name the year, (laughs) I I think there was about 10 Latino students that graduated that year. So look at it now. How many Latino students do we have that graduate? Way more than 10. So um, definitely has changed. Uh, The only thing that I still haven't seen a change is the identity of the teachers matching that of the students. And I think that's a big deal. 
Um, how has your career as a teacher affected your choice to run for the Justice of Peace in Washington County? This is like really in my memory because there's a group called The Stitches and they had an open forum where they were talking their experience about be, being raised in Springdale. And that was a couple years back and I was listening to them. I was like, I can't believe after 20 years, these students are saying the same thing that I said 20 years ago. And so in all honesty, that's what pushed me to run because I, if I want people to run, um, if I want my community to raise up leaders, they have to have an example. And so that was pretty much my push to run for office. And um, what was the experience uh, running for Justice of the Peace like? You're going to laugh. Um, I signed up to run, but I didn't have a campaign. So I beat a three-term incumbent without no campaign. It was basically because I have been doing a lot of work in the community. People saw me. I didn't tell many people that I was on the ballot, so, but once they saw my name on the ballot, they were like, you didn't tell us, and so students got other students to go vote. People, you know, it's it, so, it, it was pretty fascinating. Um, and it goes back to being that role model, every action has a reaction, everybody's watching you, and I live that every second of my life. Was it more or less difficult than you thought to be running for this position? <laughs> I don't wanna say I didn't do much because it was a life work, right? Um, I think now you have to watch every single one of your actions, which I'm used to doing that. But I have an organization that I have founded. And so I have to make sure not the only image for my organization, but also I'm like representing the community, Latino community. So I have to watch like the pressure's on, right? Every moment. And you're still learning to be a leader. Mm -hmm. um, and you have not much, like if you make one little mistake, that's it. Uh, could you tell us about your work with the Cisneros Center for New Americans? Definitely. So it's an organization um, that's no longer open in the area. So I was uh, their education program manager. So I figured out what programs my parents needed to be involved in their child's education. Um, so I was in charge to start that program. And I actually started running with that program listening to the parents need because most oftentimes we build programs without listening to parents um, and I discovered there is a huge need they were not engaged at all and they did not know how to get engaged right but still you can't create programming just thinking they need this is you have to get in there and really listen to the community so right as I was doing that the organization shut down so I was like this work is needed right so I got the guts and it was really hard because I didn't think I could start a nonprofit. You will see women usually tend to say, I can't do this. We don't like we have to have every checkbox checked before we get the guts to actually do something. It's terrible. Um, so I got the guts to ask the Walton Family Foundation if we I was able to continue the program in some way. And it was like they told me we thought you wouldn't ask. So I got a huge amount of money to start this new organization called Rooted Northwest Arkansas. I am still doing the work working with immigrant parents, but what we're finding is that we need to do a lot of deeper work making sure that education is equitable for everyone, because it's not. What's been the most difficult thing growing as a leader? As of now, I've never had a mentor that was Latina. 
So when I'm talking about trauma or issues with my family, that actually those traumas and those issues dictate how your behavior and your actions and the results you have in what you're doing, they're not able to identify with that. So here I am growing as a leader and then I have some behaviors I need to change, right, that are causing results that affect the community, I can't identify. And then I don't have anyone to help me identify those and grow in those areas. And so um, that is the one thing right now that I'm identifying in our community, that our students don't have many mentors, role model leaders that understand growth to be able to help those students race as leaders. The struggle is real. <laughs> and I've recently been reading about like trauma and how it affects your actions. And unless you've lived it and identify with it, you can't help someone else with it. So if you don't have anyone around to help you with that, you're kind of like in this sink or swim situation constantly. That's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be a perfect leader in front of everyone. You can imagine, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing to build a community of Latino leaders? So currently, uh, I just got back from California, and I was like, got back here without any culture again. Like, I was like, what am I doing here, right? Because I don't identify with Northwest Arkansas based on my need as a person, right? So I was like, God, universe, you know, you have to tell me crystal clear what I'm doing here. Um, it's so funny, you're, you guys are like the third group that has asked me to go speak about leadership in youth. So I'm like, okay, I get it crystal clear, right? So I'm currently, I've actually become a life coach to get the skills to help people grow. And so I'm kind of just listening and figure out what other needs are in the community to be able to build programming to help youth and then young leaders be more effective leaders in the community. Because we're trying to create change, but those of us that are wanting to create change have trauma. So you imagine trying to create change being traumatic, you're gonna make a complete other mess in the community, right? So we need to make sure that that change ha has some kind of clear streamline that we're able to impact and grow our community. So what issues have you seen change with the Latino community ever since like starting and to now? One of the biggest changes is I've asked some really deep questions of our parents. Like how do you know your kids being challenged in school? Can you identify uh, some areas? And they uh, oftentimes don't have an answer. And so they've now become eager because we identified that unless you help yourself as a parent, Unless you're showing and you're modeling your child that you're capable of growing, your child will not do that, right? Um, and if you look at the our growing up Latina, our parents did not communicate with us. Like they told us what to do. You listened. You were never taught to communicate or voice your opinion because you were shut down. You listened to us. I'm telling you what to do. Goodbye, right? And so I'm helping those parents identify what they're preventing their child from doing, what in their behavior is a detriment to their child's growth, because it's not just about where your child goes to school, it's about what the parent can provide as a place for their child to grow. And if you grow up Latina, or Latino, you realize that your parents, once you get older, 
I think your parents owe you a bunch of shrink and counseling sessions to be able to get over all the learned behaviors that they imposed in you because of cultural norms. Uh, and then you're not able to function properly in society because you're not understanding that those cultural norms are now affecting your behavior. And it's, it's a huge struggle. But I think for me, the work that I'm doing is helping those parents have a safe place to be able to voice, I'm doing this. What do you see that I'm doing wrong? So we're able to help them form their own opinions to be able to help their child's future. So how does all that work tie into your role as a justice of the peace? So what I'm noticing now is we have this huge jail expansion program uh, that is gonna be maybe on the ballot, maybe not, right? But unless you've been in the community working and seeing how these parents affect their child's behavior and these child's end up in jail, right? JDC, Washington County, I have a bird's eye view of all this process that's going on. Like I said, unless you're down there working in the community with them, you don't understand the issues. And so all you're doing is funding a jail and sending people to jail, right? But what program can we set in place and what structures are causing more people to go into the jail, right? And I think for me, as a person that loves humans and society and understands the struggle, having that knowledge is something that I bring heavily into the quorum court. It's um, putting humans and their experiences versus just a figure, right? Yeah. What can teachers do to support students to become a better role model? That's a question that I actually reflect on a lot. Um, one of the things that I started noticing and it made me really sad when I started working with parents is as a teacher, I always took those kids as they were mine. We tend to do that. There are kids we want to do best with them, right? But the one thing that I failed to understand is that was not my child and that I never had a conversation with the parent is what do you want for your child, right? And I, if I could go back and do it over again, I would actually step back and that that relationship is between the student and the parent. And how can I have a conversation with the parent to be able to support the child? But step back and not see that through your lens because sometimes as a parent's working hard, not seeing the child, they're still setting an example for their kid how to work hard, right? My parents did it. Um, but we see that, oh my God, this poor child is home alone. No, this poor child is still learning skills. They're learning how to be independent. They're learning how to feed themselves, which we know are skills that are needed beyond education, right? And so it's just stepping back, not seeing it through your lens, and helping this parent connect with this child because they're so disconnected. And as teachers, I felt like I was the savior of that child. When that child graduates school, they're still gonna end up with this parent that no longer has a relationship with them because I was the savior of that child. And so as far as role models, I think we just need to provide students a place with, where they feel safe and comfortable expressing what they're feeling. And again, stepping back and not putting our perspective of you need to do this, you need to do this, actually helping that child by asking questions to get them up to another level.
but we can't impose our ideas on that child. So how do you think that the school can improve communication with parents? It's a really hard question to answer because when we work with parents, it's individual, right? We look at a parent that's in front of us, what are your needs? You're working hard, how can you get involved, right? And so parents, first of all, most of their kids have exceeded their own education level. So then they feel that they can't help their child, right? But they can. It's just we need to be able think about it. Um, we tell parents to prepare for uh, their kids, bring them when they're taking like the end of year uh, tests, like bring them fed, slept, right? The kid takes the test and then you get the score. What do parents do with them? So we're asking your, your, the parents to prepare the child because we need you to do this. So I often feel like we've taken the power away from the parents and they're just sending their child to school and then the teacher knows best. And so what we've started doing is building relationships with them where they feel comfortable saying, I don't know what I'm doing and then identifying what programming we need to set up. One of them is our parents, oftentimes when there's something wrong, they will show up and they will speak on behalf of their child and defend their child. But it's always a reaction to an issue and there is no, how do I prepare to better serve my child because they don't have that skill. So first we need to identify what skills these parents need what is keeping them from being in our school? And then what systems can we set up where they're able to be engaged outside the school building? Because we're expecting them to come here, but we need them to support their child 24 seven. And that happens outside the school building. So we just need to begin by listening and creating that safe place for parents to feel comfortable voicing their opinions. What advice would you give to girls listening to this podcast? The one advice that I wish I knew is I actually personally have a council. A council of people that I know will push me, will tell me my truth, will want to make me grow and I can be vulnerable with them. And it's a group of ladies that support me. My son calls it the trampoline. You all get in there, fall down and get up, right? Every single time. And so my advice will be create a council of people that will push you, tell you the truth, but where you can be vulnerable to just say, I have no clue what I'm doing, what can I do next? It's been life-changing. We'd like to thank Judith Yanez today for answering our questions and being here. And thank you for listening to All Girls Considered.